Welcome to Explaining Albania with me, Alice Taylor. My guest today is Tomor Kokona. Now, full disclosure, he's sort of a friend of mine and someone that I've worked with professionally. Now, Tomor was born in Albania, but has since relocated to the UK, where he lives with his wife, Mariella. They run a successful uh, music lesson and music tuition business in London, um, teaching music to children in schools and other young people who come for private lessons. Um, Now, Tom also does creative leadership business consulting work. So he helps people to sort of unlock their creativity, to motivate themselves within the creative sector. Now, the reason I've invited him on my podcast today is because you know, in the past when we've talked, he's mentioned his story about how he came from Albania to the UK. And he mentioned it in a very casual way. But as I listened to his story, I was absolutely gobsmacked. It's an incredible story. It's fascinating and it's inspiring. I think especially in the context where we have thousands of young Albanians leaving the country today, it's quite interesting to listen to the struggles that people encountered sort of during the communist regime and towards the end of the regime. So without further ado, Tomo Kokona, thank you for joining me today. Well, I'm privileged. I feel very happy talking with you. We've been talking about other stuff, but uh, this podcast, I think, will be, as it is, extremely useful for your listeners and everybody to listen to your amazing stories and amazing, <laughs> uh, mainly observations. And uh-huh. you've got an eye for observations, so I'm very honoured. I'm just, I'm just fascinated. I, I, I feel like a kid in a candy shop living in Albania. You know, I find everything fascinating, and it doesn't seem to wear off the longer I'm here either. So, yes, uh, that, <laughs> that country does have that effect too. It does. Now, what I want to start off with today is uh, when we first spoke, you started telling me your story of sort of what you were doing in Albania and how you ended up in the UK, and you told it in a very blasé way. But I was on the other end of the phone sort of flabbergasted at your story because it really was something quite incredible to listen to. So can you start at the beginning and tell me what it was you were doing in Albania when you were a young man, younger man? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, I've lived over half a century in this world. So you can imagine I've gone through quite a few things as everybody else go with this is expected. Um, don't know where to start though. I can start from my childhood, I guess. I was born in Tirana mm-hmm. and um, in a family of, um, in a very modest family. I was this, the last child of six. So I am, I consider myself one of the last baby boomers so my father took part in the second world war he was wounded three times and uh, as a a resilient man uh, fighting for the independence as well as uh, against the nazism and fascism Mm -hmm. uh, i guess he resisted so i'm alive as the other siblings so um in a very modest family um from very early age i loved performing arts and um, my weakest point was ballet and dance. I mean, how can you imagine a, a child being born in Albania and just falling in love with ballet? But I was very, <laughs> yeah. In Tirana, uh, we had the Albanian National Ballet. And when I was in kindergarten, I must have been about four or five years old, mm-hmm. when I was invited to go to see the first ever ballet. 
uh, in wow. my life, and it was Peter and the Wolf. Mm-hmm. So as I was watching the ballet, I was just dreaming, how could it be backstage? What do these people do? How do they really come in? Because I knew there were actors, there were dancers. So, but I was very lucky because at the age of three, I was introduced to sort of Albanian dance by my second brother, who was a circus uh, jongler, very physical person. So he introduced me to the the, uh, Albanian, um, I don't know, communist youth who would do the after-school clubs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was introduced to gymnastics. So that's how my journey started. And I would fall in love with performing and being the last child again, quite often, especially in a dysfunctional family, they say that the last child is the clown of the family. He <laughs> wants to entertain everybody, so could make himself or herself visible. So, so yeah. you went from sitting in the audience and wondering what it was like to be backstage, but then not only did you find out what it was like to be backstage, you were on stage yourself, weren't you? Yeah, obviously, being in the circus, going almost every afternoon, um, I could see these big girls doing splits and doing flips, (laughs) backflips and jumping and so on. So I was copying them. Mm -hmm. And very soon their trainer, their their, their coach, realised that I was actually talented. I had this, this gift of really being very flexible and not understanding about risk. So it's uh, a good combination. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was very lucky because at the age of uh, roughly about uh, six, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when I was at primary school, at that time, um, the the Albanian gymnastic uh, team, the national gymnastic team, had just formed. But uh, the people who had formed it, they studied abroad as they mm-hmm. did at that time in the communist bloc. And they were bringing the ideas, the new ideas into Albania. So there was this guy who was just boy scouting and he was just scouting around to find new talent. So when he get, came to my primary school, he asked the teacher, he said, well, do you have anybody who can't stand still? Somebody who could jump behind, <laughs> somebody who's just like bright and wants to do things. And obviously out of about 30 kids in our class, she just said, Tamor is the one, <laughs> get him, take him <laughs> <laughs> leave me in peace <laughs> yeah. so I was talent spotted he put me at the back of his motorbike uh-huh. and I was delighted uh, uh-huh. so he took me home took to, to me to my father who by that time uh, he was ha- housebound because he was suffering from Parkinson's disease uh-huh. uh, a very little known disease of that yes, time of course. so he took me there and uh, he, he said look I am going to be the, the next Albanian national gymnastics team coach. And I've talent spotted your son. He's extremely talented. I've been observing him. Um, and he's very interesting because he was sitting uh, whilst we were doing the, the physical education. Uh, mm-hmm. He was sitting the whole time there and just taking note and observing how we would go around. And this thing remained with me and has remained to me uh, to the de- this day, and that's what I do. I talent spot. Mm-hmm. I passed on that. Uh, what was given to me was a gift given to yes. me. Yes, because yes. when he spoke to my father, he was, I guess, the only person who really showed my talent, who mm-hmm. really was able to say how agile I was, how bright I was, how well I was doing, and everything. Because at that time, um, especially in our culture, people would only say, Oh, yeah. 
you need to improve this, improve that, improve this, improve this. So they will point out the negative things that the kid will have, whereas he was the first one. So I embraced that. And when, especially when he said to my father, oh, by the way, he said, uh, we will take you into a special club, was the 17th of November, Stadman Tantori. Uh, 17th November is the Tirana uh, Sports Club, which was set up at the um, Christian Orthodox Church. Because mm -hmm. at that time, the communist system closed all the churches. Yes. So that church was converted into a sports club. Wow. They didn't touch it. So for me, it was like amazing because we would just lie down when we would do the relaxation song. I would just look up and I would see God. I would <laughs> see God with us. Obviously, um, religion was forbidden for us all of the time. Yes. So, um, and the, the, the icing on the cake on the introduction that he made to my father was that, oh, by the way, we're going to give your son two pairs of trainers, two pairs of tracksuit bottoms, all of the underwear and everything else, four pairs of that. And then from time to time, we'll give him food as well. And I could see my father's eyes like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially because you got to give him trainers because I don't know what this boy does. He just, as if he just bites his shoes the whole time. I had to buy him new shoes. Mm. And these kids, of course, I realized now that from my father was another relief. So yes. in a way, I could say that my talent gave me this new world, this new mm -hmm. to the world to learn. And uh, whilst I was in the, the, the gymnastics club, um, I really moved for two years very quickly. But uh, I, my mind was the whole time into dancing. So mm -hmm. I started learning folk dances. And I, my brother, again, the same brother, uh, introduced me to the uh, Albanian, because again, was the first year when the Albanian National Ballet School was going to be set up by the government. Okay. The equivalent of Royal Ballet in the yes. UK. So um, a lot of Albanian uh, ballet dancers had already gone to Russia. So they brought the, one of the best ballet school systems into Albania. So the, 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 the school, although had opened a few years early since 1953, but mm -hmm. Officially, the building was opened with my generation. So um, my brother introduced me to go to the audition. Uh, so the audition was another wonderful story. And that was the time when I learned how to really chase and how to not wait for others to really give it to me on the plates. Mm -hmm. But I chased it. So it's another story there. If you want to know, I can tell you about it. But yes, I do. Tell me. It's, it's, it's great. It's interesting. So I was, whilst I was doing my, um, my gymnastics, uh, my brother introduced me to, later on, my ballet teacher to be, uh, Dako Stuni, who lives now in Greece, and he's uh, one of the most prominent uh, ballet teachers there. He studied in Russia himself, and he came to Albania, he became soloist of Albanian National Ballet. So he introduced me to Dako, and Dako saw me. Uh, he asked me, of course, to do things that I'd already been doing since I was three. Yes. That Splits and flips and to sing and jump. And he said, like, oh, you don't need any preparations. <laughs> Just come to the audition. So on the 4th of July, and for some reason, the, the date 4th of July has been following me for some crucial moments. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. So um, he said, come on the 4th of July to the National Ballet, to the Teatri Operas de Balleti, which is right bang in the middle of of Tirana, this Russian architectural building. He said, come to the back of the building. 
at, uh, I think it was about uh, three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon. So it coincided, I think it was a Sunday or Saturday. So I went there and I could see outside there were another 500 kids my age, boys and girls. Wow. So uh, somebody came out and said, oh yeah, are you here for the audition for the, to, uh, to, uh, to be part of the Albanian um, ballet school? And I was like, yeah, okay, come all of you. So they took us all to one of the ballet studios in the third floor. And one of the other things that I uh, associated with the, with the theater and ballet was this beautiful smell of cookies mm-hmm. and backstage smell. And it was my life dream. For the first time, I've been harboring that dream since I was a kid. And yet, the destiny had brought me there without me knowing. So they took us to the third floor and they said, okay, all the boys and girls, take off your clothes and stay on your underwear. So that's what I did. (laughs) And as I was staying there, there is a story which, uh, if my cousin, my first cousin would hear it, he might not be happy, but it has again stuck in my mind. He was already, uh, I think he'd already three or four years before me uh, in the ballet school. So he was studying to become a professional ballet dancer. And of course he was in the theater, walking up and down. And it coincided that that day he came into the studio and he saw me there, but he was a sort of a bully. Um, so every time he would see me, he would slap me at the back of my head. And I really hated that. Mm-hmm. So came in and he jumped into his habit. And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you slapping me? And so on. Come on, why have you come here? What are you doing here? And I said, I'm, I'm here for the audition. Oh, come on, you're nobody. You're not talented and so on. So in order to, to avoid being slapped, I ran through the corridor. And then I saw some stairs going backstage, like downstairs. So I ran downstairs. He chased me. I went through a few doors. I didn't know where I was going. I went around and then I just thought, okay, well, somewhere I'm going to get to. So I was very lucky to go around and climb back the stairs and I found another open door. So when I opened that door, by magic, the jury, the jury who were going to judge, adjudicate, were lining up. So the only thing I'd done, instead of coming from the back door of that dance studio, I'd come from from the front door. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Dako, my ballet teacher, looked at me and he knew that I was for the audition. Oh, yeah, tomorrow you came next. Come in. So I didn't <laughs> know what to do. Going in front, I was nervous because they didn't know me. Yes. Coming back was my cousin ready to slap me. So <laughs> walked forward. <laughs> so they, uh, they just asked me to do slips, splits and uh, flips and uh, sing, uh, clap. Uh, they checked my body measurements, my bones, and so on. Mm-hmm. They said to me, okay, now you can go back. Um, we're going to call you. And that was it. I left. But um, they did call you, didn't they? No, they didn't. No? No. So what happened? Only 10 years old. You just, uh, as, as a habit, because I didn't hear from them, there were no telephone calls. We didn't have telephone. No, of course. We didn't grow up with, with mobile phones. <laughs> At home, I didn't even have television at that mm-hmm. time. So I went to my gymnastics club in September. And to my delight, my school were nominated to have all of the other subjects, but also French. 
So I loved, I, I mean, it was my dream to learn French. So September went by, I didn't hear from them. So I just ignored it. Mm. And then at the beginning of October, I, in the corridor during lunchtime, I saw this ballerina, the lady who had auditioned me. Mm -hmm. And I saw her and I said, hi, I know you. You are the ballerina that came to audition. And she just turned around and said to me, what's your name? I said, my name is Tamarco Kona. And she slapped me. I found myself against the wall and she was like, what are you doing here? I've been looking for you all over Tirana in all of the primary schools. Wow. Come back tomorrow to the ballet school. So then I went there. So the only downside was one slap. Okay, well, that was the baptism <laughs> of fire. And the, the fact that we didn't have to learn French, but the, the art school, the Albanian National Ballet School, uh, learned what the language was Russian. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, although I learned it, but it never stick, stuck with no. me. Uh -huh. So yeah, so this is how I when she was introduced to the ballet school. I continued dancing for eight years. I learned classical ballet, the folk dancing, international dancing, uh, uh, classical repertoire, um, because at that time, Albania did not accept any modern dance. Mm -hmm. any music yes. uh, I mean many people might might hurt might have heard but Albania um, if they want to compare it with anything it, it was like today's North Korea nobody yes, completely could, closed nobody mm -hmm. could go out and uh, we were observed 24 7 uh, the son will report the father the father will mm -hmm. or the daughter and so on otherwise the whole family will suffer which I learned later on uh, at my own back in a very painful way. But hey, being rebellious as I was, <laughs> uh, there was no other way. Do you want to talk about that? Or, and sort of how you left Albania? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I graduated at the age of 18 and a half. Mm -hmm. I worked very hard uh, for eight years and I performed. Um, I was lucky at that time, to be honest, because we had lots of opportunities. Mm -hmm. We had... Um, we could go to films because Albania had the film industry at that time. We had about 10, 12 films per year. So I would be like an extra actor. I would, uh, the National Ballet would need all the time uh, young dancers to come in. So I was earning a salary from the age mm -hmm. of 10, 11. I was bringing the salary at home. And uh, so I, I was feeding my spirit of being on that stage, being a professional dancer. Mm -hmm. So at the age of 18 and a half, I graduated. But um, at that time, uh, as always, um, the, the seeds of corruption had really gone, had sipped through very deeply into the Albanian culture. Mm -hmm. So although the system would give some people the, the, this, the, there was a system of meritocracy where you, if you worked hard, at least that's what I believed, then you would get it eventually. But very soon at that age, I found myself after getting 10 out of 10. So I got superstar with stars, all of my grades in dance. I was the best. Mm -hmm. And yet they wouldn't accept me to be in the Albanian National Ballet as a dancer, as a standard, normal dancer. What? So you can imagine a teenager, 19 yeah. years old, I was devastated. You'd spend so, half your life working towards that. Yeah. And the, the problem with being a professional dancer 
as many other art forms, but mainly dancers and uh, musicians, is that you don't have the energy and the time space to even learn a secondary profession. Mm -hmm. So we, I would wake up at seven o'clock and, uh, and then go home at nine or 10 o'clock in the evening, completely exhausted. Mm -hmm. So in other educational systems, people could learn to have some background in our professions. Yes. Whereas for us, and at that time, there were only three main institutions. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I thought my job, my profession was guaranteed. Yes, after training in the national school. And become the best. So I was devastated. I got nervous breakdown. Um, my family couldn't help me because they came, they were a very humble family. They couldn't. Yes. And, um, but two things happen at the same time. So always, uh, you know, there's a saying in English, every cloud comes with a silver lining. Yes. So as I was at that situation, absolutely devastated, a door opened. Tirana Ensemble, Ensemble Tirana, which was an amateur folk dance group set up by the Tirana um, 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 mayor at that mm -hmm. time. They needed dancers. And obviously me being trained, learning folk dances and all of these things, they lapped me up. They just, yes. me, you know, they used me as their first soloist. And until that time, to be absolutely honest, we had been raised in that bubble ballet school mm -hmm. to really see ourselves as a little bit special and then see that art and dance, if you would call somebody an artist, you would call them only if they had this sort of a classical, really academic training. So for us, dancing and folk dancing, folklore and um, uh, tradition was like a secondary thing to have. Mm -hmm. But when I went to that group and learned so many new folk dances, I fall in love with Albanian tradition and culture. So it really opened my horizons to learn about costumes, about architecture, about mm -hmm. wood carving, about the history, and of course, most importantly, dance and music. Yes. the wealth of Albanian folk and dance. So this is another passion that I've grown and I'm absolutely devoted to promote today. So I, I was made part of that group for a year and being young, being angry, being rebellious, I made a very almost fatal mistake mm -hmm. that time. What happened? So I believed believed in the fairness i believed that we'd been in, in a way indoctrinated yes that as far as you work hard you're honorable person you come from a family a humble family that really has given so much to the system mm -hmm. you will be rewarded you will be given your fair share and but i realized that other people have been taken or had been taken the position that i thought i deserved mm -hmm who were less talented, yes. less than I. And I knew that these people had been accepted to be members of Albanian National Ballet because they had the right connections, mm -hmm. right influence and so on. So of course that was an injustice for me. So what did I do? I made uh -huh. this mistake by writing a four page oh. complaint letter, letter oh. to whom other than the Albanian dictator and their hoja. 
excuse my laugh that's like a nervous laugh like I'm nervous for you just hearing that wow was so stupid believing that I was going to get justice I didn't tell anybody in my family if I told my father because my father until 19 55 because that's when he got his first symptoms of, uh, of uh, mm-hmm. Parkinson's disease he was also working for the interior ministry as, mm-hmm. a, as a captain so he got the grade of captain in the army yes so again my father had met Denver Holger several times mm-hmm. my father being a partisan initially and also working for the government knew exactly what was going on Yes. When we were in the family at home, he was telling me stories. He was saying that the grass is not greener. And he was one of the things that my father always told me, he said this, you got to consult elderly before you do something. Because we elderly might say something, but we know something else. Mm -hmm. And number two, he said, you should never trust even your shirt in this Mm -hmm. system. Because he came from the communist system. He'd been devoted into it. So he knew it from inside. So anyway, I sent that letter. Uh, It was one of these times. It was summertime. And uh, as you know, at that time, there was the national service. So every person, every young person from the age of 18 had an obligation, a legal obligation to stop their life and give their services to the government unless they uh, had, uh, due to their good um, results at school, they would have a place at university. If that was the case, they were exempt from being uh, taken into the army for two or three years, uh, but they would continue to do the army training like six months and so on. So uh, this is like an information for people who don't know about this. So then one day I um, go home and my mother received a letter saying, Tamar Kokona, you have made uh, a complaint to the, <laughs> the, the, the head of the government, the yeah. president, Enver Hoja, and so on. And Enver Hoja, because my surname is Kokona, the surname is well known across all of Albania. And I guess people who read this letter knew that my father had served Mm-hmm. They made so the connection. They realized, oh my goodness, the enemy is amongst us. Oh God! All right. So, needless to say, we were all dreading it. Most of all, my father. But seeing me for a whole year being devastated, I realized yes. the injustice. He had started to change. He had started to see the reality. Yes. So then, to my surprise, you know what he said. Right. We all that together. Wow. He hadn't seen them very old, just since 1960, I think, or something. Wow. And this was 1984. Yes. The most paranoid years. Exactly. Say. The year when Verulja died in 1985. Yeah. So um, and I'm like, are you sure, Bobby? Yes, I'm going to come with you. I think this is an injustice. Why did I uh, get wounded three times? Why did I fight? Yes believe that we fought for justice if you didn't deserve it if you didn't work hard for eight years if you if we weren't that poor but the fact that you fought so hard to be the best at school I wouldn't have bothered he said but I'm coming you know my late father unfortunately my father is not with us anymore so 
then the day came in, we went there and, uh, and Verhoja, of course, did not bother to come and meet us. Okay. But to my and my father's surprise, the deputy minister of culture plus Enverhoja personal secretary met me. Wow. And, you know, where the, 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 uh, the prime minister's office, yes. right opposite the prime minister's office. Yes, I know. On the fifth floor. Mm-hmm. So I'd never seen my father shake so much. I mean, of course, because of Parkinson, but he was sweating and so on. Yes. I, now, later on, I realized why he was sweating and was so nervous. Because at that time, they will wipe out all of your yeah, family yeah. if yes. you say the wrong things. So mm-hmm. uh, then, the, the, of course, the, the deputy minister of culture started talking with my father. He knew my father. And he said, hi, Sally. Uh, tell us a little bit uh, about this, what has happened. This is very serious for your son to send this serious letter. A party takes this matters really seriously. We need to go to the bottom of it. Whose fault is it? Is he really telling the truth or what's going on? Because he's making some very serious allegations here. And my father started saying, look, exactly what he told me. If my son hadn't worked hard, if my son hadn't really given everything for that, I wouldn't have bothered to come here. But I believe that I fought, as many of us fought, for this day to really be justice. And you know what the deputy said? Right. Said, Sally, we are not here to give privileges to any. So he twisted my father's words. He twisted as if my father yeah, yeah. was asking for a privilege. Yeah. And my father raised his hand and he said, first of all, I want to make it clear. I'm not asking for any privilege for the sacrifices that I and my family has given. And second, I would let my son talk now. And my father did not say another word throughout the whole of the meeting. Because obviously he realized that he was, as we say, in the mouth of the wolf. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously I just made my case. I showed my diplomas, all of my years' diplomas. Yes. One. And I just said, look, I deserve it. This, they are the same teachers who give me 10 out of 10 or give me a and then again um so he said okay the party will investigate this and we will let you know let uh we will contact you here is the telephone number for Ender Hoja's uh personal secretary he gave me the name the guy introduced himself anyway so call him on Monday but we have a joke in Albania when you really I can't be bothered to uh, <clears throat> to to meet somebody. You just say "Shiva Minga Hana," which means Monday. see you on Monday. Each other on no, uh, Monday. Yeah, a Monday, which means that you would never because Monday comes. They say I didn't say to you this Monday. I would say the other Monday, and that's what he used. So when we left, my father just turned to me and he said, "I'm really sorry." Let's hope this is not going to really rattle the boat. Uh, but the guy just gave us the elbow. Well, my father knew that they weren't going to do anything. Uh-huh. So the Monday came, I called that number as they told me. And guess what? The secretary was busy. Mm-hmm. Monday. And I was waiting for the second Monday. But what happened? Busy. On, no, on Saturday, the second week on Saturday, 
I went home from being out. Mm -hmm. uh, went home and I found my mother crying. Uh-oh. And she said, two police, uh, two uh, officers, the army officers have come in. On Monday, you're going into the national service. So, nothing. So that meant that instead of, because obviously, I guess they didn't see the, my infringement as too big. No. So the only way is that just to take me out of the game by sending me to the yes. army. So then, needless to say, I was taken to the army, heartbroken. And the problem was I was three years, mm. three years into the army. And when you're an artist, especially when you're a dancer and you stop. It's a long time. You just gone. Yeah. But um, that was the other silver lining on the cloud. So it's another part of the story. I think I'm very much aware we've been talking to No, it's fine. I you know we've got to get to the end of this story. So let's let's keep going. Okay. So what do you want to know? The next we want to know how you ended up, how you went from being in the Albanian communist army to being in the UK. Okay. So I was in the army and obviously at that time, my father just realized that he shouldn't be that honest and that uh, sincere in that system. So he just contacted a few friends and these friends, instead of sending me to serve to the frontier, and my father knew that if they would send me to serve in the frontier, I was going to defect. But if somebody defected from the communist system, the whole family yeah. was going to be condemned into internment camp. So my father in a way was protecting himself and family. So <clears throat> I was nominated to be a police officer soldier in Tirana. So all of the buildings that you see there, all of the ministries, I know them from inside out, because mm -hmm. for seven long months, every single night, I, with a Kalashnikov in my arms, dressed as a police officer, an ex-ballet dancer, <laughs> walked around the building that I was at the designated. Yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, um, guarding the buildings. Uh, but uh, another thing which I think helped me again to understand the value of mentors, the value of really giving back, was that as I was dancing for the Albanian, uh, for the Tirana Ensemble, <clears throat> one of the prominent choreographers in Albania, Panayot Kanachi, um, who's one of the best choreographers who really laid the foundations of Albanian national dance, um, really put, uh, you know, he taught me a couple of dances there and he came and he worked with the, with his uh, folk group. So I had, I built a friendship with him and he knew that during the day I would go and train and do the dances in the folk group. And in the afternoon, I would dress like police officer, mm -hmm. my service all night, and then in the morning, go back. Okay, that was the only relief that I could have of my life. So <clears throat> one night was about minus six and minus six in Tirana is very rare. Mm -hmm. It was minus six and I was serving into one of these buildings, which was right opposite Panayot Kanachis, this choreographer's um, um, house. He lived in, in, in a building on the third floor. It was about two o'clock in the morning. It was so cold. So I would go into the police cabin in and out just to shelter from the, from the freezing cold outside. And obviously I was feeling devastated. And when I saw the light on, I picked up the phone because we had the phone there and I dialed the number, um, it was two o'clock in the morning and Panayot, this choreographer, the, uh, he 
was the Albanian uh, national ensemble choreographer. Mm -hmm. I picked up the phone and he answered, hi, Panayot here. And of course I burst into tears. And I said, look what you and all of my teachers, all of you have done to me. Do I deserve to be here is minus six. Just open the curtain and look where I am. And you know what he said? Said yeah. something that changed my life forever. He said to me, Tomor, you know who I am and what I am. He was gay mm -hmm. and he was an open declared gay. Mm -hmm. In the communist system, gay yes. people would go to prison a minimum yes. seven years. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you know what he said? He said, you know who I am, you know what I am. And imagine if you go with this negative mindset and if you think poor me, you know what you're gonna get. If I'd gone with this, you know what they would do to me. You know what I should expect. Mm -hmm. I've had a clear plan and I followed my journey. So if I have been able to really strive to be the best and to be at the top of it, regardless of what things they can do, they, they were doing things to him on a daily basis. Mm. Imagine what sort of wonderful future you would have. So my advice to you will be this, as you are there, first of all, think what you want. And second, make a plan. Third one, do never sleep one day without taking one step towards fulfilling your plan. So these are my three step, mm -hmm. that is that, three step, step advice. Number one, what you really want. Number two, create a very detailed plan. And number three, never go to bed without making a step. It doesn't matter. Just make a step towards fulfilling your plan. So that was it. Yes. That's my plan. And um, I decided to, regardless of me being in the army, I, re I decided, number one, to release myself from the army, which was impossible at that time, unless a family member died or you were um, considered insane or sick. Mm -hmm. the, only, the only two reasons. So I decided to relieve myself from the army. And second, I decided there and then that the National Ballet, the, the Albanian National Ballet Company, who, who didn't accept me as a standard dancer, they were going to accept me as much higher than a dancer. They were going to accept me as their choreographer, as their leader. So I made up my mind, uh, hatched the plan, and every day I never stopped. I started training every day, started learning how to really because you had to learn theory, I enrolled myself into the audition to go to university, to the fine art university. Mm -hmm. And I was spending every single minute of the day learning the law, learning all of the, 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 the internal regulations on how to relieve myself from the army. And I found collaborators, I found other partners, I found people who wanted to help me. So suddenly, the moment I had the plan, people came to help. Yes. So one of the things that I did at that time, which I'm not ashamed at all, 
is that I falsified a document. Mm -hmm. um, that document was falsified because I was a soldier. So in a way, when you're a soldier, you, you are not entitled to enter in any universities. But for me to go to university, first thing I had to enter my audition. So the law didn't say anything that as, as a soldier, you cannot enter the audition. So I falsified, I didn't falsify, but I present it as if I was a police officer instead of a police soldier. Mm -hmm. So that was a very small document paper like this. Just wrote my name to Marco Corona is a police effective, which is called, you know, mm -hmm. police officer. And then we give him permission to go to uh, audition for the uh, fine art university. Otherwise, if I hadn't falsified that document, yes. I weren't going to enter the, the audition. So um, needless to say, the audition came in. Um, obviously, at 10 o'clock, I had to dress as a police officer. Yes. And unfortunately, on that day, because there were so many people in the audition, my turn came last, and I didn't finish until 11 o'clock at night. But, you know, the police station was very near, so I ran there. They reprimanded me, and I finished my dance audition. I just went, and I served my night shift with the Kalashnikov as a police officer. Uh, I, I got in, I got the, the, the net title, and uh, eventually uh, I continued at all month, month of August. And in September, in the morning, I dress as, as a civilian. I'll take my, my university books, I'd walk to university, do my lessons. Uh, all September, we had some, uh, we, we called volunteer work, which was not volunteer. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was doing such services at school, cleaning and so on. And then in October, again, well, the, the normal standard school started. So you can imagine I was going to university in the morning, doing my dancing, doing my choreography, doing my theater, my acting, learning about staging and lighting and productions and films and so on. Go in the afternoon at home, have two hours sleep or three if I could, and then get dressed as police officer and at night, go and serve, do the national service with the Kalashnikov as a police officer. Until obviously they realized that now they couldn't deny me the place at university because I'd won it. Mm -hmm. But I'd won it by really having that plan. So eventually the, the release came in. So I fulfilled my first part of the plan. Step one complete. <laughs> years of university, worked hard. Um, my choreography teacher was again Panel Kanachi. Mm -hmm. The Albanian National Ballet didn't have any new choreographers at that time. One was Agrona Liai, another amazing, wonderful figure for the Albanian National Ballet. And the other was Panel Kanachi. The other people were just like dancers. So mm -hmm. both of them had studied in Russia. So when I, uh, at my graduation, my university graduation, I uh, didn't come up as everybody else with their coursework but I decided because I'd learned some lessons, I came out with a full length ballet. So I wasn't only fulfilling the needs that it was mm -hmm. standard thing. And uh, obviously needless to say that I finished my graduation in June and they needed people in September, 1988, I was nominated to work, not only in the Albanian National Ballet, but also my nomination was for both the National Ballet, Classical Ballet, 
and the uh, National Ensemble Folk Dancing. And I was nominated to be the assistant. So the second in charge mm-hmm. of the company. So I'd fulfilled step number two of my plan. Uh, worked there for two years, created the first modern, because the, the time was changing now at that time. Yes, it was Making a bit more relaxed. Stolen, uh, a lot of changes came to Albania and mm-hmm. the regime was a little bit more relaxed. So then I created, it was terrifying to be honest, because Michael Jackson and Madonna, Donna Summer and other mm-hmm. Western artists were forbidden. But yeah. I, I just bit the bullet and created the first ever Albanian modern dance uh, production. Mm-hmm. They allowed me to do two performances and they shut down. And it's very interesting because uh, one of the people that Albanians might know really well is Inva Mula. Yeah. Uh, Inva Mula, he was in a parallel class with me. So she will start studying Canto. Eddie Rama, for example, again was in parallel class with me. Uh, so I'm of that generation. Yes. So Inva was, I invited, put Inva in my production. Mm-hmm. And Inda sang one of the songs which were forbidden in wow. Albania at the time, Gershwin's song, which is Summertime. Yes, I know. Very so, well. So she was singing that song on stage and I was doing a duet ballet in the background. So this was the beginning, the very beginning. Mm. Um, but I realized that, you know, obviously I was criticized. I was invited to the director's office, told that I was copying the Western world. I was indoctrinated and so on. But I didn't care. Um and the 1991 came, um, I had enough. Albania was changing a lot. I decided on a tour of Spain, again with Albanian National Ballet. I'd never left Albania before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we traveled for 39 hours on a bus. We took the boat and wow. then uh, the coach. Uh, we ended up in Spain. I fell in love with Spain, Spanish, Spanish people and everything. Yes. So we had one month. It was end of August, beginning of September. So the whole month of almost whole month of September, 1991, we had this wonderful tour of Spain. And obviously by that time, I'd already had my plans. I didn't know because at the age of 12, I'd already learned Spanish, uh, Italian through uh, a method uh, written in prison. So I was fluent, as many Albanians are fluent in Italian. Yes. But uh, Russian was a language we were forced to really. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten quite a lot of it. But when I was at university, I'd hatched the plan to really defect, to leave Albania. So I started learning German. So I went through both of the, 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 the basic German language. I was you know, fluent in communicating and so on. But when I arrived in Spain, I loved the language. So within about three weeks, I learned Spanish. I became like a sort of a translator for our group. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the last day of our tour, we were in Huesca, North Spain. Um, I just decided to leave. I had $110 in my pocket. I had a German dictionary. I had my Albanian passport and two t-shirts. And, uh, and a lot of experience, a lot of passion and a lot of determination. I'd seen things and I knew that, that nothing was going to be worse than I'd already seen. So uh, I left at two o'clock in the morning because at that time we were still under the communist. Yes. Mm-hmm. civilians with us within the dance within the ensemble group we had singers like gacha chaco who's one of the most um renowned albanian opera mm-hmm. singers uh, mifarete laze for example people that in albania know them really well uh, we also had our translator was 
the the interior minister, the secret police. Yes, yes. you were being, yeah. He was not an artist. He was one of the, the interior ministry. Yes. So he was observing us the whole time they were there. But obviously, I didn't care. So two o'clock in the morning, uh, I'd met a couple of Spanish friends at that time in North. So they took me to the train station, bought me the ticket to travel from North Spain to South when I'd met some other friends in Murcia, in this beautiful city by the sea. So uh, just took the train, went there. I was terrified, to be honest. I was scared. Yes, yes of course. All sort of stories that the secret police will abduct um, prominent figures and they will just turn to Albania, either dead or alive. So I was scared. For about a week, uh, these Spanish friends just hit me in a flat. They mm -hmm. took me to the interior ministry in that town. Uh, I gave the, my, my digital fingers um, a claim political asylum and they just, uh, you know, gave me a declaration that I was under the Spanish and the Spanish government's protection. And, um, you know, but I was introduced to uh, a small contemporary dance company in South Spain. Um, of course, I needed to earn my living. So first thing I did, I, you know, being the national uh, Albanian choreographer, I found myself working in a pub, uh, gathering <laughs> classes, you know, pushing barrels of beer, and so on, but because I had to earn my leaving. Of course. But during the day, I was used to working hard. During the day, I would go into this dance academy and I would give a couple of ballet classes and I would do some rehearsals with a small dance school. When they saw me that technically as a ballet dancer, mm -hmm. I would be really good. They thought that they'd won the lottery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were like, oh my goodness, you are the best ballet dancer in the world. And inside I was smiling because I knew that there were loads of other Albanians in Albania, 10 times better dancers than I, because I knew that I was all rounded. I was a choreographer, a creative, a producer yes. and so on, but I was not the best in the yeah, other yeah. ballet. But that gave me a chance. So I lived in that city for about six months. I started performing, uh, was introduced into lots of uh, cultural uh, events, started teaching a little bit, auditioned to, uh, to go to Madrid. So I would be working during the week, take a coach from eight hours coach to Madrid in the morning, audition. So for about three, three months, I was auditioning every fourth night or every three mm -hmm. weeks. I would travel from that city, go to Madrid, do the audition, fail the audition, go back, fail the audition, go back. Because what I was doing, coming from Eastern Europe, we didn't, we never, nobody told us of the many different styles of dancing. Yes. So I was auditioning for everything that I could see. There were just like salsa dancing, there was uh, flamenco dancing. I would go in, I would be plunking around, <laughs> you know. Uh, but eventually um, I won the audition to work for the Spanish National Theater for a summer's production. And that again, changed my life. So they gave me a contract, they gave me a, a work permit, um, my asylum was completely cancelled because, of course, as an artist, uh, when they realised in that small city that I was an artist, they sent a letter to the government. They said, yeah, yeah we're going to give him a visa. Yeah, yeah. Time, there were not many asylum seekers from Eastern Europe. Yes. So I uh, worked in Madrid for about um, two years and a bit. I was performing as a guest artist for various dance companies. I toured the whole country. I was teaching at the same time. And... At that time, somebody from the UK, and mind you, uh, 
by that time I was becoming old by dancers standards mm -hmm. dancers profession starts at the age of 15 16 yes. and I was at least 10 years older 26 27 so I was very conscious very much aware that I had to adapt to the new conditions so the only way for me was to either um, see what was out there become a choreographer but of course when you go to a country like Spain with such a tradition, it's not easy to really break through. I did choreograph, did work in a few things, and I choreographed myself a few small uh, choreography pieces for a variety, uh, national, you know, TV mm -hmm. Uno, which is the Spanish national um, television. But I never really had the foothold in that because you need an agent and so on. So I was very much aware of it. So then the opportunity came to audition to come to London to study modern dance, which was a dream of mine since I was a kid. And um, also I wanted to learn English. I didn't speak a word of English and um, really going to business, understand how does business work. So I passed the audition, I um, got through, but there was a sting on the tail because of course they offered me the place, but I had to pay $12,000 in tuition for the year. So of course I'd saved some money being a soloist dancer in Spain. You, at that time you could make good money, but it was not that much. How, how far was it going to take me to? So um, decided to come to London, came to in August. And the only words I could say in English would say, hello, <laughs> or more, I love you. That was it. <laughs> what more do you need to know? <laughs> what more do you need to know? And I was lucky because I came to, um, to uh, uh, Trinity Laba, which is uh, a prominent, one of the best uh, modern dance schools in the world. Uh, and uh, most of the people there were from across the globe. So when I came to London, I started uh, doing three jobs. I got an audition for a small dance group who was performing at Sadler's Wells. Sadler's Wells is a theatre now which has completely been refurbished, is one of the renowned uh, theatres in the world for contemporary dance. Uh, so I was working there, but in order to subsidise myself and to make my living, I was working as a chef salad um, in Soho in a restaurant. And in the evenings, on weekends, I would go and work as a, as a clock room attendant in a nightclub again uh, in Soho. So I was working hard, but I loved it. I loved every mm. minute of it. And so in the meantime, I auditioned. And um, when I finished the school, because it was one year postgraduate course. So when I finished Laban, I was given a fantastic job to be a full-time DCSC and A-level dancer. Laban is, is very competitive. It's extremely prestigious. So. I mean, you were very, I had a friend who studied her whole life to try and go to that school, but she ended up being diagnosed with some issue with her foot or something sort of just prior. And it was, yeah, it, it didn't happen basically. So. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm very much aware that I'm, I'm talking. Because no, I'm it's okay. I guess I want to, I mean, you've told us this incredible story, which I think it needs to be in a book. You need to write a book about your life because this is really incredible stuff, you know. Um, but I guess I'm I'm curious, you know, you've you've 
lived in these other countries you've really established yourself in the UK now you and your wife run a successful music school in London um, this is a an incredible sort of success story you know from being a, a disgruntled disillusioned uh, ballet dancer with a Kalashnikov to having a successful business and being a very motivational individual and stuff how do you I mean do you still consider yourself how do you reconcile this life you have in England with your Albanian roots you know because you said traditions were something that were quite important to you and the folklore and culture how do you keep that part of you alive uh, <clears throat> there are two things that go on I, I believe go on with people with expats who leave Albania uh, one is the reality that they are faced with so if you don't embrace it, then you would never really enjoy it. You would never mm -hmm. be, uh, you know, you'd better move. Yes. So uh, this reality is something that we both, my wife, Mariela and I, we met here in London. Uh, it's another story. We met at the church completely accidentally. And I think Mother Teresa was looking uh, <laughs> as because it was her celebration. And uh, she's, Mariela is a classical pianist who studied here in London. So we both embraced the reality that we came in with, without looking back. We had to really, we were, we are both fighters. And uh, <clears throat> we reconciled the reality of being Albanians with also considering ourselves as British as well and adapting Great Britain as our country uh, by being rooted directly into what we are. First and foremost, we are Albanians, and we are very proud of the, the values that we have as humans and uh, whatever we bring to the society. And second, we very, I mean, I personally <clears throat> understood from where it goes since I st stepped in Spain that I had to obey by uh, the country's law. Mm -hmm. I had to obey by the country's culture. And... Uh, <clears throat> I have to embrace everything because at the end of the day, that enriches me. Mm -hmm. And this is how I see it. I feel um, extremely rich that I'm able now to not only converse, but also understand, try to understand different points of view from different points of cultures. Uh, so <clears throat> for us, culture is everything. Mm -hmm. And we believe, I mean, today I was talking to a group of Albanian artists and I was talking about the power of art and the power of creativity. And most importantly, art is politics because mm -hmm. can influence humans much, much more and much deeper than any politicians. So therefore, by being in this profession, I feel privileged. Why not use it for good? Why not really go back into my childhood when I was talent spotted and go back to my Panayot Kanachi who really inspired me or go back into London. Uh, I've got some other stories in London of people who really believed in me. So why not use that? And above all, use what really makes us creatives. What makes you, Alice? You're creative because you write, because you see the world in a different way. You like it or not, you want it or not, you've got that critical eye. Mm -hmm. Things that other people take for granted, 
they stick into your brain. Yeah, they do. <laughs> that's the mm-hmm. that's the the gift that we have as artists. And if we turn that gift into serving the society, which we do, and that's the power of art. That's the you, power that we have as artists. You know, I listened to what you what you said about your mentor and how he inspired you, and I had a very similar conversation with a mentor of mine. Um, I was working in a lawyer's office um, in a nine to five job. Okay, it was longer hours than that because lawyers never sleep, but it was this this office job. And I think you know me well enough to understand that I'm not suited to that sort of environment. And I was so depressed. I was depressed. I hated it. And I, I remember sitting on the bus one day, like you standing in the cold outside the building when it was minus six and wanting to cry because it was raining. And I just thought, is this what the next 40 years of my life are going to be like? And I was sort of having this breakdown and I spoke to this previous colleague of mine who was older and a lot more experienced. And he said, Alice, what are you doing? He said, figure out what it is you love doing. What's your passion? Figure out how to make money from it and do it. And the next day I quit my job. And here I am seven years later. (laughs) So that story, hearing you say that, you know, I can really, I can really um, sort of resonate with that because I had the same tipping point in, in my career, in my life as well. You know, God knows what would have happened to me if I hadn't done that. I would have been a mess, you know, depressed, miserable. Um, so it was really nice to hear that you had the same, the same sort of story as well. And I think the, the advice that I got from my mentor, Bernard Ganacci, was the full picture. Number one, what you want. Number two, hatch a plan. Number three, mm-hmm. take action. Yes. Because a lot of people have reached and surpass their tipping point. Mm. But the last, the most important ingredient of taking action was missing. Mm-hmm. So they need to be these three. So that sweet spot between plan, what you want, and uh, taking action, if the three of them are in balance, then it happens. Otherwise, yes. you might be, uh, you might have reached the tipping point, but you're not taking action. Or you might uh, have taken action, but you haven't got the plan. Or you have mm-hmm. taken a plan, but you haven't really, really uh, created a, a clear future for yourself. I like I come across people that get so fixated on the plan part that they just never take action on it. And they obsess and obsess. And, you know, yes, it's good to have a plan. But I think if you if you dwell too long on that, you lose your motivation or sort of the will to go for it. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely a balance and having the, what's the word, having the drive to just take that step and to go for it, you know? Um, okay, this could go wrong, <laughs> but I've done my best. I've done everything I can to plan for every eventuality. So let's just get on with it. Um, and I think a lot of people don't do that and it holds them back. I always think, you know, if you're unhappy in your life for whatever reason, the only person who could ever do anything about it is yourself. And I, I believe that applies to most situations. I don't think I come across as privileged in saying that, but I don't think there's many situations where you're unable to not improve things for yourself. True, true. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I, I Obviously, we are humans and we make mistakes and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, humanity and decision making don't come, uh, you know, hand in hand. So, uh, but 
obviously, I, to be honest, I've never regretted when I've taken actions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there have been stupid actions when uh, I realized it was too, too soon or it was too late. Um, but also, why regret it? Because everything, I don't understand, yeah. I don't believe anything is a failure. It's just another way to, to learn. It's something you said earlier, sorry, something you said earlier as well about um, every cloud has a silver lining. Again, this sounds so cliche, but it's something that's really kept me going when everything crumbles around you. You know, when everything goes wrong, no matter how bad it is or how like horrific it is at the time, it's always making way for something else. And that's something that's got me through a lot of difficult uh, points along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, another thing I would like to say about mm -hmm. myself, the duality. Um, we as Albanians, and I guess this might be with all the people who leave their country, um, quite often we feel, it depends how you see it, but um, some people try to compartmentalize us. Some, when in the UK, for example, we, at times we are seen as the others, as foreigners. And when I return to Albania, I'm seen as foreigner as well. So in a way, um, a lot of people will say, oh yeah, you're privileged because you live abroad and so on. And I'm not gonna start complaining because I got many, many more things to be grateful than complain. But people don't realize that uh, when I take a taxi in Tirana, uh, quite often it has happened to me that the price has been doubled just for the fact that I sit in a taxi. For some reason, people really straight away notice that I do not live in Tirana. So similar things happen in London sometimes. Um, so it's something that we need to adapt and it's, it's our own life story. Thomas, thank you so much for this conversation. I, I hope people listening will be inspired by it and find it as fascinating as as I did and I, I hope you write a book about this sometime because I mean to squeeze all of this into what, an hour of recording I felt like we were going way too fast yeah. so I think you really need to document this. Thank you very much my book actually uh, I, I'm, I'm at the latest stages of my book Wonderful. which is, uh, which is the, the, the working title is how to stand out take center stage and become the spotlight in, mm -hmm. in arts. So it's it's a methodology that I've created called mm -hmm. Star Method, helping artists and creative people uh, to not only continue struggling uh, and being amazing artists, but also have both. They don't need to struggle. Uh, so it, I show them my life experience in the last 30 years, how I uh, went through and built various successful businesses in the arts world, but also outside the arts world. Yes. Thank you very much. I'm really grateful that you invited me here. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Explaining Albania podcast. You can stay up to date with our latest episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and of course, Anchor FM. Be sure to follow us on social media as well for upcoming episodes and articles on Albania and the region.